This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. That's a good group. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to continue on this morning talking um, about the Christmas season. Last week we talked about um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, parents of John the Baptist. And every year um, when we talk about Luke chapter 2, um, you know, my dad... Uh, told a story about me last week. Do you remember that story? If you missed it or you weren't here, someone actually sent me a birthday greeting this week um, about a, a sort of a cartoon of somebody swinging on a church bell. Thank you for that. Uh, if you don't know that story, if someone was here, they will tell you the story. So since my dad sharing stories about me last week, I'm going to share a story about him. Here we go. Uh, it's all fair. So growing up, um, we grew up, you know, in a, in a denominational church and the, the church building that we were in at this time, uh, it was very, you know, old Gothic building, you know, choir loft behind here, stained glass windows. See, we have stained glass, but it's just LED lights, not quite as exciting. Really big church, about 1,500 seats, uh, you know, wood pews, the whole thing. And um, every year at, at the church we were at, we would do, we would light Advent, Advent candles. Anyone like Advent candles at your church growing up? Okay, anyway, you can look it up online if you don't know what it is. So... We would light these Advent candles and then all, we would have different families of the church every week light an Advent candle um, and sort of read, have a scripture reading or two. And so my dad wanted us, my sister and I, to be involved um, as a family in the church. And so every year at the Christmas service, we would read Luke chapter 2 and I would read verse 1 to 10. My sister would read verse 11 to 20. And we started this so young that I, I actually needed to stand on a chair to be seen above the pulpit. Now, how it worked at the church we were at, it was, you know, once again, very old-style church. So on this side of the church, there was the lower uh, reading pulpit. And then on this side of the church was the higher pulpit. Has anyone ever seen a church like this that my dad would preach at? He would sit at in his robe and his throne on this side. <laughs> and the rest of us would come over here. And so I was so young that I used to have to get a chair and it was like one of those really big Bibles, right? Like this, the huge big Bible and leading up to it, we would practice. So we would go to the church and my sister and I would get in place. I would get my chair in place and then we would start reading and then he would walk down the center aisle, you know, once again, a very large church and not the greatest sound system in the world. So we actually had to project our voices fairly well. So we would start reading, you know, in... And I would start reading Luke chapter 2 and reading about Quirinius and about Mary and Joseph. And, you know, I can, I can recite some of it actually for you. And so he would walk down the center aisle and I would start reading. Once again, I was sewing it. My voice hadn't even changed yet. Walking down the aisle, not even looking at us. And he would yell louder. We would read another verse or two. He would yell louder. See, it's just a catharsis for me to get it out this morning, just to tell you some of the things about my childhood. And so every time when we turn to Luke chapter 2, I hear louder. So here we go, Dad. <laughs> Going to read it nice and loud for you all. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says this, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This declaration that the angels were giving about Jesus coming to the earth, the incarnation, in other words, God coming to the earth in flesh, in human form, that it's going to be good news, it's going to be great joy for everybody. And as we look at the story, and, and we're seeing these stories in the context of families, and how last week we saw Zechariah and Elizabeth and how God's showing up in the middle of their lives, in the middle of their homes, in the middle of their family, actually made a difference in their lives. And that's what we need to think about as it relates to Christmas, as it relates to Jesus coming to the earth. It's not just an idea. It's not just something we remember every year, but it is actually supposed to be very meaningful for us. And as we talk about Jesus coming to the earth, uh, one of the things that we see that helps us to understand about God and his nature, that Jesus is the express will of God. The book of Hebrews tells us that um, Jesus is the full blaze of God's glory. For, so to us, to fully understand who God is, we don't look at the Old Testament. We actually look at Jesus and we see what God is like through the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus. Jesus' disciples asked him one day, they, they said, Jesus, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what we get as we look at the incarnation, God coming to the earth and flesh, is that we get this revelation. We get this understanding about who God really is when we look at Jesus. But the second part is um, not just to have an understanding, but God actually wants us to experience something. It's not just for us to look and think about Jesus born in a manger, you know, no room in the inn and the animals around that and all of the, all of those things that we remember every year, but it actually has a meaning for our lives. We would understand something about God and then something would be different um, in our lives because of Jesus. So today we're actually going to be looking at Mary and Joseph. Jesus earthly parents. Now, when we think about this, this is kind of an amazing idea that God is choosing a man and a woman to be Jesus earthly parents. Now they weren't sending in their resumes anywhere, you know, to apply for this job, to apply for this position. But when we think about it, God was looking for somebody to be Jesus earthly parents, the ultimate question of nature versus nurture. And so he, Jesus, was going to grow up in their home and be influenced by them. And as we look at the stories today, as we look at Joseph and Mary, we can see certain qualities uh, that come through in the story to help us to understand why God chose them to be Jesus' earthly parents. So let's turn over to Matthew chapter 1, and we'll read a little bit this morning about Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was, a, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in, mourn, uh, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So here's something that we could see right away about the character of Joseph, that he was a follower of God's law. But then, you know, Mary showed up and she was pregnant. And before he knew the whole story, which we'll read the rest of it here in a second, 
in his mind, it was like, well, obviously Mary had broken God's law. You know, and in a situation like this, uh, Joseph could be looking to save face. He could be looking to say, hey, you know, it's not me. I I didn't break the law. I just want to let you know. I'm just going to go on a social media campaign to let you know that Mary is the guilty party. It's not me. But what do we see about Joseph that he actually, even though he thought in that moment that Mary had broken the law, he was going to do something quietly. He wasn't going to publicly shame her. And in a sense, he was forgiving her before he knew the end of the story. And this is something that we would see. Uh, I don't have this on the screen, but first Peter chapter four, verse eight says above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So this is something that we would see in the life of Joseph, in the character of Joseph. One of the reasons why God chose Joseph to be Jesus' father. Verse 20, let's continue reading. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet talking about one of the Old Testament prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is one of the great understandings that we have also as it relates to Jesus coming to the earth. And not God in the clouds, not God somewhere else, not God distant from me, not God um, in the religious system, Uh, in between me and God, and then not God and a religious holy man, and then God. No, God with us. And we could see this talked about and prophesied in the Old Testament that God would give us all a heart of flesh. In other words, a soft heart that we would know God for ourselves. No religious system in between us and God. That because Jesus came, the scripture says there, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So in other words, we have contact with God ourselves. Jesus coming shows us God with us. And this beautiful truth reminds us that in the big situations of life, God is there. In the small situations, the small decisions of life, God is there. Every day when we live, God is there. The story of Jesus coming to the earth tells us, Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave, and gave him the name Jesus. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 1 and read about Mary this morning. Now, Mary was a teenager, just a young girl, and God was going to choose her to be Jesus' mother. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled (coughs) at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Do you like the idea of the favor of God? 
You know, last week we talked um, about God's mercy. And when we said about God's mercy is that God doesn't give us what we deserve. In other words, because of our sin, because of our mistakes and all of the things, things that we've done wrong, God doesn't give us eternal judgment. God doesn't give us eternal separation from him, but he does give us his grace and he does give us his love. So we hold back what we deserve, but then this idea of favor goes beyond that. God does give us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's love and we don't deserve God's forgiveness and we don't deserve God's healing power. But because of his favor, now the word favor and grace have very similar meanings in the New Testament. Because of God's favor, he actually gives us what we don't deserve. And we can actually experience God's goodness because of God's grace. Now, we use this word favor. You know, we might say to somebody, hey, can you do me a favor? I really need you to do me a solid. And so will you do this for me? And so what are we saying in that moment? In that moment, we actually have trust in that person. We believe something about that person's character that they might actually do something for us. But the favor of God has actually nothing to do with us asking for it. It comes because of the character and nature of God that God gives us his favor. God gives us his grace because of who he is. So Mary here is experiencing the favor of God. Verse 31, it says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. Now, when we think about, uh, you know, a kingdom or an earthly kingdom, you know, a kingdom is going to have a king on a throne. There's going to be some borders and there's going to be an army. And, you know, there's going to be some very specific ways to run the country or the region or the kingdom as described here. But as it's discussing about Jesus kingdom, his kingdom won't end. And so what does that mean? Now, and this is one of the reasons why Jesus contemporaries and then some people still to this day don't um, receive Jesus as the Messiah because they thought the Messiah was going to come and he was going to set up shop and he was going to have a throne that he was going to sit on, an actual physical throne, and he was going to have a palace and there was going to be very specific borders. But the kingdom being described here and what the kingdom of God is, see, God is not interested in... in um, sort of a, a, a rule where there is somebody on a throne, that God is looking to rule individual hearts. This is the kingdom that God is interested in, you and me. And that kingdom won't end. It is the eternal kingdom. It's not it because, you know, if, if we look back in history... And, and we can, if you ever watched a, uh, there's YouTube videos out there that shows um, how borders of countries have changed over the years. And this empire came up and then it fell. And this empire came up and then it fell. And this leader was in charge and they took over this amount of land and all these different things and all of these borders changed. All of those kingdoms came to an end. But here, God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, never comes to an end. So it's not about borders. And it's not about a physical leader somewhere. It is God wanting to rule in your heart. 
He's not necessarily wanting to rule or to be in charge of a political situation. He doesn't need to rule a political situation. He has you and me. A couple of years ago, we had um, somebody, you know, call the church and there was a pastor in the area who's going to be running for a political office. So I'm just going to venture out this morning. I'm going to combine religion and politics all together. So get ready. Um, so this lady was calling on behalf of this pastor who was running for office. And then, so, you know, the conversation was very short and she said, pastor so-and-so is going to be running for office here in Mississauga. And I just want, just want to make sure that we can count on your support. She, she called the wrong person. You know what I'm saying? So make sure you tell your church to vote for him. And I'm, I'm thinking, just because he's a pastor doesn't mean he's qualified to lead in our city. Are you out there? <laughs> Having a Christian as the premier or the prime minister isn't necessarily a good thing. It depends on the Christian. Christianity is a state of grace. It's not a gift set. Do you understand what I mean? It's like, oh, they're saved. Let's vote for them. Are we really sure about that? I don't know. We want to go down that road. So, you know, I was like, yeah, no. (laughs) She was like shocked and amazed that I wouldn't want to have a pastor in charge here in the city. It was like, my point is it actually doesn't matter because God's kingdom goes beyond borders cannot be contained by borders, doesn't actually care about borders, doesn't need them, doesn't need an army. God wants to rule in your heart. And that is the kingdom that never ends. Because God's rule is always available for us. When we're born, we get to choose to allow God to rule in our hearts. That's why you can't force somebody to become a Christian. Are you out there this morning? It's going to take a choice for somebody. It's going to take a choice for someone to allow the kingdom of God to rule in their hearts. Verse 34, she says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, maybe I lost half the crowd this morning with that. So if you're, if you don't like that, just forget it, throw it out and listen to the rest of the message this morning. All right. Like I'd vote for the Christian every time. (laughs) We'll talk about it later. Okay. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. Verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So we see in the life of Mary and Joseph, once again, this notion of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God was showing up in the life of Mary and Joseph. And this is actually the message of Jesus. If you read through the gospels, Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. This is what Jesus came to talk about. The kingdom of God. Now, what does the kingdom of God mean? The kingdom means the place of God's rule, the place where God is in charge. Now, I grew up in the kingdom of Earlby. It's my dad's name, if you didn't know. It's all about you this morning, Dad. It's all about you and Jesus today. So I grew up in the kingdom of Earlby. And let me just tell you what it's like to grow up 
in the kingdom. Like I'm just having full counseling in front of the church this morning. When you grow up in the kingdom of early, early, you can tie a tie before you can walk. (laughs) Quit trying to walk, son. Here's this thing. Put it around your neck. Tie a tie. Listen, I can tie. Now, I don't wear a tie that often anymore. And when I wear a tie, people are like, oh, my gosh, you can wear a tie. Like, hey, don't worry about it. I can tie a tie. Any knot you need, I got you covered. Do it with my eyes closed. I can sit and it like sits perfectly. Like some people wear ties. It's like not good. I can be like, hey, let me tell you how to tie a tie. I grew up in the kingdom of Earlby. And this is what else it's like to grow up in the kingdom of Earlby. When you're young and you're going somewhere, the car pulls up to wherever you're going, maybe a Christmas party. In the kingdom of Earlby, he turns around and he says, kids, just want you to know. We're going into this party tonight and you are to be seen and not heard. If an adult talks to you, you look them in the eye, you say, hello, you say, yes, ma'am, you say, yes, sir. There will be no crawling on the floor. There will be no playing in the background. There'll be no throwing of things. And I just wanted to let you know if there is any throwing of things, if there is any crawling of the ground, when we get home, living in the kingdom of Earlby. The place of his rule. Now, the kingdom of God is a little bit different than the kingdom of Earlby. And what I would say, and, and listen, you know, all joking aside, uh, my, my dad wants me to live in the kingdom of God. He didn't set me up to live in his kingdom to be controlled by him. He actually wants me to follow God. And this is what I want for all of you. I want you to live yielded to the kingdom of God. See, yielding to your own kingdom, what you, what's happening there? Well, I'm on the throne. I'm at the center of my life. In the kingdom of God, God is in charge. And God is wanting to yield ourselves, to make the choice to yield ourselves, to be submitted to the kingdom of God, to the place of God's rule. And this is what we see in the life of Mary and Joseph, that they were sit, submitting themselves to The plan of God for them. See, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God that will last forever. It has been here before we showed up. It will be here after we pass away. It is the eternal kingdom of God. And while we're here, we have the choice. We have this amazing choice to yield our lives to take ourselves off of the throne and to think to ourselves, the eternal God, the eternal heavenly father knows how I should live my life. I'm not going to spend you know, however many years I have on this earth, 80, 100, 120 years. If you make it awesome, fantastic. But that's not enough years to figure out Okay, I'm, I'm just going to create a kingdom and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to, you know, and I'm, at the end of all of it, I'm going to sing, I did it my way. The Frank Sinatra version. We're just going to, I did the whole thing my way. And, and if that's true, we would have wasted our lives. Because there's an eternal kingdom for us to be a part of. There's an eternal kingdom that came or is revealed to us because of Jesus that is talked about in these stories, that God wants us to yield to his kingdom. Now, when we see about Mary, she was 
uh, literally and figuratively a carrier of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 says this. Once on being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the, ki- the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed. It's not something out here that we're going to see. It's not, there's not going to be borders and there's not going to be a palace. There's not going to be a king on a physical throne. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or another translation says, the kingdom of God shall be in you. It's not something outside that we're looking for. That God wants to rule in our hearts. It means God wants to rule in our thoughts. That means God wants to rule in our actions. And there's something about the transcendent king of, kingdom of heaven that was here before we got here. And then we showed up. And it, it will be here after we're gone. And we get to choose to be part of it. And where is it actually going to be? Where is it going to show up? It's going to show up on the inside of us. And then if it's showing up on the inside of us, it's going to show up in our homes. It's going to show up in our careers. It's going to show up in our relationships. It's not going to be somewhere else. It's not going to be God in the, in the clouds. It is actually within me. That God is ruling within me and he wants to make a difference in the world by ruling hearts. He wants to rule hearts. National borders don't matter. So in every region of the world, in every kingdom of the world, in every country in the world, God has his representatives who have yielded their hearts to him. And we have the privilege, the wonderful privilege of living out the kingdom of God. See, a yielded life is better than a selfish life. A yielded life to the ways in the kingdom is, is better than, than putting myself at the center of my life and me trying to figure it out. Young people, we just take a second and talk to you this morning. See, sometimes, uh, you know, when, when we're grown up and when we're grown up in the context of church, it's very, you know, it's very easy to distance yourself from your parents. And then sometimes we distance ourselves from our parents and then we, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater. He's like, you know, look at my parents and look at their hair and look at their pants. They follow Jesus. I'm not sure I can follow Jesus too because of that. And in a sense, Jesus was a little bit of a nonconformist. He didn't conform to the religious rules of the day that he was trying to bring something new. And then sometimes in our lives, we can rebel and we, we are going to move away from the authority of our parents. And we should eventually, you know, move out of the basement or wherever you're living. Whatever, you know, let's not go down that road. But um, we, we, we push against these things and then we're just like, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to figure life out on my own. And, and, and sometimes unknowingly, we, we push ourselves away from these eternal principles. But here's the deal, young person. The eternal principles aren't going away. The things that were true before you are born are, are true now. And the things that will be true 
after you die, they're true now. And what God is wanting us to do, he's wanting us to discover this relationship with him and understand that it is actually the purpose of our lives to know him, to live in this kingdom ruled by God. Now, you can go on a journey. And you're like, no to all of what I just said. And you can go and try to discover, and you could do a bunch of things, and 20 years from now, you're going to come back, and you're going to be like, you know what? <laughs> kind of messed up my life. I mean, we'll still be here, but let me save you 20 years. If you're here this morning, and you're like, I just don't know about this whole God thing. I'm just not sure about this. I'm just not sure about this whole church thing. I was you 30 years ago. And if I could speak from 30 years in your future, God's ways are the best ways. You are not going to create something new that will transcend the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is eternal. And we're going to look at some of the qualities of the kingdom here in a second. And we're going to know that they're eternal. And then we're going to want to embrace them and continue to live, to live them out. Matthew chapter 4, let's turn over there. The, the, the devil is coming to Jesus and he's tempting him. And he says in verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. All of the kingdoms of the world. Think about that. There's all, there, there's kingdoms, young people that you can go out and, and get education and you should get an education. And there's, and you can go and you can get a career and you can rule in that kingdom. And if that's all you ever do is rule in that kingdom and have yourself on the throne of your life, you're going to miss out on the purposes of God for your life. So he says to Jesus, look at all of these kingdoms. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus had the sense to know that he was going to worship God, not just his thoughts. Not just what he can imagine today. I'm going to place God at the throne of my life. Not just what I can think up, not just what I can dream up, not just what I can accomplish on my own. But I'm actually going to yield my life to God. I'm going to have God at that center place. I'm going to worship God, not worship myself. I, I, I love you all this morning. But you're none of you, me included, are worth worshiping. We aren't God. So don't worship yourself. We're going to worship God, have God at the center of our lives, like we sang about this morning. See, we should want God's plans to become our plans. And not just what Drake sings about. We want God's plans, right? God has a plan for our lives. God has something for us to do. It's there. It's available for us. Or we could just do our own thing. But the eternal kingdom is never going to end. The eternal kingdom is there for us to choose. See, the things as it relates to God's way of doing life, we should want those ways, not a way that we can imagine or dream up or think is good. No, I, I want God's eternal ways. Because his kingdom, 
is never going to end. It is the eternal kingdom. See, and one of the things that we see about Mary and Joseph at the end of both of their stories, that they made the choice of obedience. The angel showed up and this would be an amazing thing. It would be an amazing thing to happen. But then they had to make the choice to obey God's plan. Romans chapter 14. Let's turn over there. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for a mutual upbuilding. So what what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not these external things that we could observe and then try to enforce. But here, the, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, a relationship with God. That I can actually know God for myself. And peace, we talked about peace last week. And then joy, that God wants us to have joy. And this comes from the eternal kingdom. Now those three things, just those three things on their own. There's no better way to live than that. There's no better way to live except having a connection with God. The eternal God, the Father. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness. You knowing God for yourself. And then what? Peace. That God wants us to have and experience peace. And then joy. See, we can't take credit for these things. We can't, you know, in our 49 years of living, we can't be like, you know what? I I just want you to all know that I thought up the idea of joy. I'm just going to present it to the world. A joyful way to live is better than not joy. It didn't originate with me. It is part of the eternal kingdom. We just get to discover it. It's always been this way. It will always be this way. Why? Because it's part of the kingdom of God. We just get to live it out. We get to have a relationship with God. That God wants us to experience peace. And then he actually wants us to experience joy. And then what does it say? Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In other words, I'm going to build someone else up. I'm going to encourage somebody else. This is a great way to live. And you can't, you and I, we can't think it up and then take credit for it. Yeah, I just want you to know I went to school this year. And they told me, they talked to me about, you know, being a teacher of other people. And I just want you to know that this thought has sprung from myself, from my genius self, that I'm going to build up other people. No, it's part of the transcendent king of God that has always existed and always will exist. He invites us into it. Matthew chapter 5. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God. He says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are who? Peacemakers. You know, we've got politicians out there 
It was like, you know what? We just made, we need to make peace between people, people groups. You know, there's a, there's a whole mess in the world today with people groups being against each other and not liking each other. And then the politician will get up and say, we just need to have peace with people. And people are like, yes, you're amazing. That's a great idea. They did not invent that idea. It does not come from political ideology. It comes from the throne of God that has always existed and will always exist. That God wants people to be at peace with each other. How are we going to be at peace with each other? The scripture says in Christ. That he's broken down the wall of partition. There's no more us and them. There's no more Jew and Greek. There's no more male and female. It is us in Christ. That God is bringing us together in himself. This is not a political idea. Something that exists in the kingdom of God. And God invites us into this kingdom when we will be his children, the sons of God who will bring peace everywhere we go. Last verses we're going to look at this morning. First John chapter four. Have you noticed that at the end of every Christmas movie, everybody loves each other? Have you noticed this? They're getting together for Christmas. Something happens, somebody's mad at somebody, something goes on, but at the end, they're all singing about Jesus and they love each other. How did this happen? The directors in Hollywood, they just invented love. I just want to tell you, okay? The directors, they're just geniuses, they're artists. They're just in tune with things that the rest of us don't know. And so they're making movies about love. No. Love has existed forever, eternally in the past, in the kingdom of God. The scripture says, God is love. It shall forever be that way that the place that, that God is ruling from in our hearts is the place of love. And he wants us to live out love. And it can become so sentimental it could become, oh, these sappy Christmas movies and be like, oh, this, but why do we keep making movies about love? Because it's part of the nature of God. It's part of the kingdom of God. We didn't dream it up. We didn't make it up through the musings of our mind. It has been, and it always will be. You know, I always tell my kids when we go to see like superhero movies. At the end of almost every superhero movie, the hero sacrifices himself. Do you understand that they're stealing from the scripture without any credit? That the hero is giving himself for everybody else. And I turn to my kids and I'm like, I'm like, dad, not everything is about the Bible and Jesus. I'm like, it is. I'm pretty sure it is. That's why we're making superhero movies. That there is no greater idea than sacrificial love 
And God showed up in Christ and he sacrificed himself for you and for me so that we would understand what love is. That we would understand that love has existed from eternity past and will exist and God will always rule by love and he wants to rule in your heart from a place of love that he loves you and cares about you not because of your own goodness but because of his character and nature he is love first john chapter 4 verse 19 because we love because because we're geniuses we're geniuses in 2018 so we thought up love we made it up we're so smart we put it in movies no 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 we love because because he first loved us if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen and this commandment we have from him whoever loves god must also love his brother everybody say must this is the place of God's rule. What does it sound like? You must love your brother. You can't just love God. You can't just worship God and say, oh God, I love you so much, and then hate horizontally. You can't just do the vertical and God, I love you, you're amazing. You're the best. I hate you. There's, there's ne- it's not an option for us. It is not the place of God's rule. That's not kingdom life kingdom life says God I love you and then he wants you and I to bring his love into the world he actually wants us to love people think about that God actually wants us to love people God actually and this is not just for December and this is not just for Christmas this is for life life all the time life that God actually wants to wants you and I to slow down and actually love somebody to actually care about somebody, to pause and to listen to them, to put our phones down and to actually love each other. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. We didn't create it. We didn't come up with this new amazing idea of love. It has always been. It will always be because this kingdom never comes to an end. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. See, living in the kingdom of God is not a heavy thing. The kingdom of God is ruled by love. Do you know what is heavy? Unforgiveness. It's really heavy. It's heavy weight to carry around. You know what is a heavy way to live a life of bitterness? A life of hate, a life of anger. These are all too heavy to carry. But God doesn't want us to carry those things. What does he want us to do? He wants us to obey the rule of love. And listen, this might seem silly, 
But if we obey that law, we will have the best Christmas we ever had. And it won't have to do with how many presents we have on the tree or if your wife burns the turkey or not, whatever, if you don't make turkey, whatever, if somebody cooks the wrong thing. We can still obey that rule of love because why? God wants to rule in our hearts. He wants us to partake of his kingdom. Let's just pray this morning. God, we just love you today. We love you because you first loved us. We are so thankful for Jesus this morning that he came so that we could understand who you are. That he came so we could experience your goodness, that we could experience your love, we could experience your kingdom every day, all of the time. And so God, this morning, we yield ourselves to your kingdom. We yield ourselves to your ways, your plans, your purposes for our lives. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.